Well, I wonder if you've uh, ever had a moment where you realise something a little too late or where it's taken you uh, longer than it should have to uh, figure out the truth of a situation and it's sort of, you've had this moment where it's become clear to you. Uh, a, a simple example for me might be uh, often when I've got to drive off to uh, Anglesey Barracks uh, on a Tuesday night uh, and for some reason the traffic from the eastern shore into town in the afternoon is atrocious uh, and it takes a long time and there's been quite the occasion where I've just made it over the bridge and I'm slowly creeping my way up Davy Street and I think, oh dear, I don't have my gate pass. A, a, a sad realisation a little too late. Or, uh, perhaps more significantly, I can remember a time when I was involved in some pretty significant conflict with a group of people and I, I kept telling myself all throughout it, ah, oh, look, you know, this is water off a duck's back, I don't really mind, uh, you know, like, uh, I, I, this isn't affecting me, it's all good. And then one day, one of them rang me up and took me to task over a, a, a Facebook post uh, that I'd made a joke about this backup job I could have if ministry didn't work out and told me I didn't care about them. And then all of a sudden, uh, I was just like really, really angry uh, and really, really upset uh, all about this phone call and this uh, accusation that I didn't care. Uh, and I, I suddenly realised I actually did care a lot and that the, 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 the conflict was having a massive impact on me, but I, I needed this kind of moment uh, to realise it. Well, today we have a, a story of someone having their own uh, a, epiphany a, about the reality of their situation and the situation of others, but of course, uh, a little bit too late. Well and truly up Davy Street uh, in a traffic jam. Uh, it's the story of the rich man and Lazarus, and we read that uh, the, 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 they're introduced to us, Jesus introduces them to us. Uh, first, the rich man who's dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every single day. He is super rich. The, the inclusion of the, the, purple, uh, the word purple there to describe his clothes tells us just how rich he is. Uh, it was super hard uh, to, to get purple uh, coloured clothing in uh, ye old days and uh, this man has done it because he has that kind of money. And uh, at his gate, so he's got this compound that he, this super rich guy lives in and at his gate uh, there's this beggar named Lazarus. And we read about him and how poor and uh, uh, sad and horrible his existence is. He's covered with sores. Uh, verse 21, uh, he longs to eat uh, what falls from the train table. He's, he's super hungry uh, and he's, he, he's, he gets licked by the dogs. His sores get licked by the dogs. This is just the kind of uh, poor and pathetic situation in which this man finds himself. And if you were listening to the story in uh, Jesus' day, as he told it to you, your mind would be thinking now, as Jesus introduces the story, well, okay, I, I see what we have here. We have a blessed man. He's rich, he's got uh, all that he needs, he lives in luxury every day. There is someone blessed by God. Okay, that's what you'd be thinking. You think material blessing... Uh, follows uh, those who, who, who get blessed by God and at, at, at the gate we've got Lazarus, a cursed man. He has obviously done something real bad. 
He's sick, he's covered, he's an out, uh, covered in sores, he's an outcast. Okay, got the blessed guy, the rich guy, got the per- cursed guy, the sick, poor, hungry guy. But then, Jesus twists our expectations. Because uh, in time, we read, verses, in verses 22 through 24, that when they die, both the rich, blessed man and the poor, cursed man... Uh, our expectations of what might happen to them in death are completely reversed. So, the time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him off to Abraham's side. He goes from what we thought was this cursed position to a blessed one. And the rich man also died and was buried and in Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called up to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. He's gone from wealthy uh, and rich and, uh, and, and what we thought was blessed to the fires of hell. So how has this happened? Why is it that uh, their situations in death have been reversed? before we consider that and before we consider particularly why it is that the rich man has ended up in the fires of hell, let's just first note that what we're looking at today is a parable, it's a story, it's designed by Jesus to make uh, a point and the point we will see is about uh, money and what it reveals about our hearts, it's not a story designed to teach us about how heaven and hell work. that is, uh, we, we have this correspondence between the rich man in hell with Abraham in heaven and, and they're talking back and forth and I don't think we're supposed to uh, build our theology of the mechanics of heaven and hell from this parable. It, it's, it's a story for us to uh, understand uh, more about Uh, the rich man and uh, his problems in his life before he died. So, we need to do more than just uh, start, we wouldn't want to start here in our our heaven and hell theology building. It might teach us something but that's not really what Jesus is trying to do here. So, uh, you can park those questions to one side I guess because what we have is, is a literary device, a story that's trying to teach us something. So, why has the rich man ended up in the fires of Hades or hell? Well, verse 25, Abraham tells him, doesn't he, from up there in heaven, he says, son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things, but now he is comforted here and you're in agony. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been set in place so that Those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. Why have you ended up in the fires of hell, rich man? Because you had all these good things and Lazarus was there right in front of you and you refused to be generous with what God had given you. It's interesting as we reflect on this story that... uh, the, the rich man knows Lazarus' name. Uh, we see that 
when the rich man, back in uh, verse 23, is in, uh, in uh, Hades, he calls out to, Lazar- to Abraham to get Lazarus' help. And the fascinating thing about that is that means that this rich man, probably in his day-to-day life, knew who the beggar was at his gate, who he walked over each morning as he opened and shut his gates. I think that might give us some sort of insight into just how superior and unkind this rich man had been with the things that God had given him. So, it's too late for the rich man. He, was, uh, he failed to be generous... He failed to steward the good things God had given him to look after those in need uh, and now he's realised it a little bit too late. There's a great chasm now. He can't, there's nothing that can be done. But he realises, well, there is something that can be done for my family. Maybe we can t- warn my family to go and be kind uh, to the poor and better steward the resources that I had in, in life. And so he says... Abraham, can you, can you send Lazarus to my family? But what does Abraham say back to him, verse 29? Well, they have Moses and the prophets, let them listen to them. That is, just like you, rich man, they already should know how you're supposed to steward your wealth if God blesses you with it. And let me just tell you that the Old Testament is full of commands for the people of God to care for those in need. Let me give you some examples. I'm not going to... uh, You can copy down the references if you want or I can give them to you later. But just in case you you thought that maybe uh, Abraham was being unkind to the the rich man in thinking that, you know, he should have known his Bible better, let me just tell you some of the places where he might have picked this up. Deuteronomy 15, verses 1 to 3, or verses 7 through 12. Chapter 22 in Deuteronomy, verses 1 and 2. Chapter 23, verses 19. Chapter 24, verse 7. Verses 14 and 15, verses 19 to 21. Chapter 25, verses 13 and 14. Isaiah, chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. Isaiah, chapter 5, verses 7 and 8. Isaiah, chapter 10, verses 1 to 3. Chapter 32, verses 6 and 7. Chapter 58, verse 3. Verses 6 and 7 in that chapter as well. And verse 10, Jeremiah. Chapter 5, verse 26 to 28. Chapter 7, verses 5 to 6. Ezekiel, chapter 18, verses 12 to 18. And chapter 33, verse 15. Amos, chapter 2, verses 6 to 8. Uh, chapter 5, verses 11 and 12. And chapter 8, verses 4 to 6. Micah, chapter 2, verses 1 to 2. And chapter 3, verses 1 to 3. Chapter 6, verses 10 to 12. Zechariah, chapter 7, verses 9 to 12. And Malachi, chapter 3, verse 5. The commentary told me all those verses. Uh, just a few ref- casual references scattered throughout the, the history of the, uh, the people of God in the Old Testament. It comes up again and again, you see, the care that God's people ought to have for those in need. And so Abraham's saying, <laughs> you, you, you already should know. You already should know what you're supposed to do if you have much but they've totally missed the boat. They haven't realised it. They've been blind to it. And so the rich man says, no, 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 please, please send Lazarus to them. Verse 30, he said, no, Father Abraham, if someone from the dead goes to them, 
they will repent. Like, I know it's been pretty plainly obvious in the scriptures, but like, if they remember, we all remember when the the beggar died, we stepped over his dead body a few times, uh, and like, if he came back alive, we'd pay attention to that. And the reply, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, to all those references from scripture, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. And of course, here we see that this parable, uh, not only teaching us something about uh, how we need to steward our money, but also is a stinging rebuke to the Pharisees, who we remember from last week in uh, verses 14 and 50, loved money and heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. And Jesus said to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. The Pharisees, the the religious elite of the day, lovers of money and hypocrites. And Jesus is saying to them now, you're so full of yourselves, you're so preoccupied with the wrong things that even if someone rises from the dead, you're going to miss the boat on what God is up to in the world. You, you've become so conceited in your, your love of money and your love of appearances uh, that if you can't pick up the fact that the Messiah is here in, in me, then even when I raise from the dead, you're not going to be convinced. Just as the rich man's family, if they can't pick it up from the plain reading of the Scriptures in the here and now, would not be convinced to become suddenly more generous if a dead man appeared. And of course, we all know this kind of hard-hearted thinking about, about God. I'm sure that uh, for some of you, you've, uh, you've come across uh, a situation where you're talking to one of your friends who maybe uh, isn't sure what they believe or says they don't believe in God, uh, and they say to you something like this, look, I believe in God, uh, if you just made it like totally 100% verifiable that he existed. So like maybe if he right now appeared above Mount Wellington in a sort of, you know, the clouds open and God's voice came out and it spoke to me by name and said, I'm real, then I'd believe in God. Uh, That that sort of logic uh, turns up relatively frequently uh, when I'm talking to people about why or why they don't believe in, why they don't believe in God. And of course, the, the truth of the matter is that many of those people wouldn't believe in God even if that happened because they'd be able to find some way of writing it off. Oh, well, like, I'm not quite sure what I had to drink last night or, um, you know, uh, I, 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 I think maybe I was in a, some, I must have been in some sort of hallucinative state or that they would find some way to write it off because the fact actually is that God has raised Jesus from the dead that this is historically verifiable and he has been turning lives around for over 2,000 years, Uh, you actually don't need any more evidence to see the purpose and reality of God in the person of Jesus Christ. You just need to stop making excuses and answer the question honestly, who do you want to live for? For yourself or for God? 
because that's ultimately what it comes down to. That's ultimately what it comes down to for the Pharisees and it's ultimately what it came down to for the rich man. He chose to live his life for himself. His family chose to live their lives for themselves, not for God and therefore not with care for others. And it wouldn't have mattered what they saw once their hearts were set on, on, on serving themselves above all else, nothing would turn them from it. So, assuming that today we have uh, a room full of people and, a, and a, an online world full of people who want to live for God, who are seeking in their heart of hearts not to be self-righteous Pharisees, but rather humble-hearted servants... What does this parable teach us about our hearts and about our, uh, our money? Well, I think what we see in this parable is that uh, money is actually a great diagnostic tool for the state of our hearts. Uh, I remember once uh, going on a conference and I was talking to a, uh, a guy there who was pastor of a large church in Canberra and he said to me, uh, I tell my congregation, show me your bank account and I'll tell you what your heart values most. And I thought to myself, I can't believe you say that out loud. Um, but as I've thought about that, not that I'm telling you to show you, show, show you, my, show you your, not I'm telling you to show me your bank accounts today, but the sentiment is right, I think. That is, where you spend your money shows you, shows you, if you kind of sit down and think about it, where your heart is, what your heart values. See, the rich man could, could have uh, done a heart check with his uh, spending and realised that though he had both opportunity and ability, he failed to be generous and instead sought more purple clothes, more luxurious living. And so, as we uh, think about uh, this story of the rich man and Lazarus, and as we see that uh, our hearts need to be in the right place, and that money is a great tool for us to determine where our hearts ultimately lie, let me ask you, what does your wallet reveal about the place of money in your heart? Maybe you need to spend some time reflecting on that question. It's not that if you spend money on yourself, that's bad. It's about the trajectory upon which uh, your life is placed and the way you use your money is placed. Money is a diagnostic tool for our hearts. The second thing I think that we see when we reflect on this parable is that if we're a Christian and we understand that God is a generous God who has given freely of His own Son so that we might be saved and we might live the, 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 a full life, John 10.10, uh, and we might uh, be blessed by Him in all sorts of ways, financially or otherwise, 
when we understand that God is a generous God and we understand that we've been saved through His gracious giving of Himself, then we will choose to uh, be a people who reflect the generous nature of God and one of the easiest and best ways we can do that as a people is to be generous with our own money. So, if that's the case, if money is a diagnostic tool for our hearts and we are a people who follow a generous God and seek to be generous to others, how do we do that? Well, I want to say we must remember first the, the parable that came first, that came last week about the shrewd manager. That is, one of the things that can happen when you come to church and the minister stands up here and he says you need to be more... Uh, you should think about being more generous, uh, is that we walk out the door and um, we just give money to the first thing that comes across our path in order to kind of ease our conscience. So we might go into the mall later today uh, to go shopping uh, and there'll be one of those random um, harassers uh, or uh, charity workers, maybe is a better word, uh, who stand on the corner uh, and who, um, you know, they, 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 like, they go like this as they try and find your eyes um, and they say hello and you've got to kind of awkwardly try not to engage them, otherwise you have to give them all your money. And what we can do is sometimes, uh, you know, hear a sermon, I need to be more generous and we run into the, the, char the charity worker on the street corner who's asking us to give money to whatever good cause it might be and we just think, well, okay, or we walk past a homeless man on the street and we think, oh, I heard I need to be generous, I better, I better give him 50 bucks. But actually, that, that's sort of failing the shrewd test. You, you might choose to do that, but do it because you're seeking to steward your resources wisely and carefully and generously. So you might choose not to give the 50 bucks to the randomest home man on the street because you don't know his circumstances, you don't know uh, if he's going to use the money uh, for his needs or for his next fix. But you might decide to build a relationship with that person uh, and then help them out. Uh, in my last uh, church, uh, we had an office, so I used to work there, and that would mean that people would come into the office every now and again seeking help. And we never usually helped them the first time, we got to know them the first time. And there was this one guy there called Stephen. And uh, he and I ended up in this relationship where I would buy him his milk about every month or so, because he'd run out of money for milk. But along the process of that, we also, we also helped him out with a few other bits and pieces, but we also helped him with financial counselling. Uh, we helped him... Uh, I helped him try and get, uh, uh, think about getting a tenant for his apartment that he was living in because he was paying way too much rent for someone on, uh, with his financial means. Uh, it, it was relationship building in order to, to, to help someone and then being generous in the context of relationship, as being shrewd as we sought to help that person. So be shrewd. But don't use shrewdness as an excuse for a lack of generosity. Still, do the hard work of letting money reveal to you the inner workings of your heart and the deep loves that you have. 
and then give generously to those who need it. Uh, I find it curious um, that we've spent the last two weeks thinking about money right after we've had uh, Morris and Amanda come and visit. Now, you'd think that I might have done that deliberately, but actually, uh, I thought to myself, uh, after they, like, as they were here, what will we, what will we do next? I will we'll just pick up Luke for a bit before Advent starts, um, and uh, I turned up to where we were up to in Luke, and here we were, chapter 16. And, and I think that might tell us something, isn't it? Mightn't it? That is, that uh, as we've heard about these Morris and Amanda as they're going to go and serve some of the poorest of the poor in Cambodia. Now we've had two weeks on being shrewd and generous with our money. Maybe that's an encouragement for us to think about whether or not we ought to support them and their mission work. Likewise, uh, giving generously uh, to other organisations that help people uh, is, a, is a good idea too. But it's, it's a deliberate, generous choice that seeks relationship, I think, that is key. A third way could be uh, to give generously to the work we do here. It's always a bit awkward when the minister talks about giving money to the church because it sounds a bit like I'm singing for my own supper. But I don't want you to give because you want goods and services from the minister. I want you to give because you believe in the vision of this church to be a blessing to our community. The more uh, we can give and work and uh, uh, impact the community with our resources, uh, the more we can share the good news with others. And of course, spiritual poverty is real. And we bring great relief to the hungry, the spiritually hungry. I heard a story once of people who were choosing to give a deliberately small amount of money to their church because they weren't getting the goods and services they thought were due from their minister. And I'd say in that situation, money has diagnosed their hearts. But I've also heard other stories of people who give nearly 10% of a church's annual giving and expect nothing in return because they want to generously spread the gospel and seek to allow uh, places like this to be uh, a generous beacon of hope. Well, this parable is ultimately not about money, it's about our hearts. It's about where our treasure is and there our heart is also. It's about where we are storing our treasure, in ourselves or in the kingdom of God? Where are we investing? And what Jesus is saying is that those of us who've had our hearts transformed by the grace of God and the gospel will be people who uh, invest heavily in serving the world 
and especially in serving those who are in the deep physical and spiritual need. Jesus warns us in this parable that when we invest our treasure in ourselves, it only yields emptiness and eternal sadness. While when we invest treasure in God's kingdom, it yields compassion and eternal joy. So let's challenge ourselves today to check our hearts by examining our money and then let's invest our resources in the good of others, just as God has invested in us. Music